Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Rachel Comey is one of those clandestine rockumentary-style origin stories. She wasn't even a formal designer yet, spending her free time costuming scrappy local bands here in New York City, when the thin white Duke himself, yes, David Bowie, saw a handmade shirt of hers and wanted one for himself. She was just a freelance production assistant and charged him what she then perceived as, quote, a lot of money. It was $200. That was 15 years ago, and today it's not just the late, beautiful Bowie who became such a fan of her quietly iconic line. Parker Posey, Cindy Sherman... Maggie Gyllenhaal, they're all part of Comey's eclectic crew. And it was Vogue magazine who recently referred to her now-collectible Legion jeans among the most tenor-setting denim styles in recent memory. Her 10 million-plus annual business no longer has menswear on offer, but it's the roots of these early, sedately stylish pieces that have given her cult-like womenswear brand a rare, enduring fascination. She's never taken seed money and funded her first few years on interest-free credit cards. She's never taken out an ad, and over the course of almost two decades, she's managed, at one point or another, nearly every aspect of her business. In a time when brands are cutting back or shutting down with regularity, Rachel Comey, now with two flagship stores on both coasts, has unwittingly become the face of a new brand of American fashion, one that's personal, reverent, artistic, and, most importantly for her, self-made. Hi, Rachel. Good morning. Hi. Thank you so much for being a guest on Unstyled today. I'm excited. I wanted to start with an image that I have in my head that whenever I think about you, for some reason, this image comes up often. You were showing your collection at a gymnasium at a public school on the Lower East Side. Do you remember that? Yeah, I love that gym. Even in those early days, I'd never been to a show that was in a space like that before, that was in kind of a unexpected location that gave you an experience. It wasn't just about the clothes. And I would love to have you tell us about that experience and when you were planning that show. Thank you so much, first of all. That show, yeah, was in the gymnasium. We had that surf rock band from Vermont play. (laughs) Early on, I didn't know anything about anything in fashion, to be honest. And so I was just trying to do things however seemed right to me, just kind of following my gut instincts and finding weird spaces and finding models that intrigue me in a different way beyond just being beautiful. All of those elements together obviously create a more interesting experience. So I think I was just following whatever track I could find at the time, you know. Did you think it was like a a form of performance art? I mean, I think that there's an exchange happening in any kind of show, fashion or otherwise. So I think that the audience is just as important as the, you know, designer or the model or the makeup artist. It's like an exchange. And I think that's so much about what clothing design and style is about, communication. And I think that... The clearer and more human I can make the show experiences, the better, really. Because I I wanted the whole evening 
of our shows of the recent ones at the dinners to be about that total experience. So I wanted the tables to be like really interesting dialogue and people that maybe didn't know each other but cross reference each other in different ways, come bring them together and then have the performance, have the clothes, have the food, have the, you know. Speaking of performance, the way that you collaborate with other kinds of artists and other kinds of mediums, um, your guest role on on high maintenance, and you've worked with everyone from Tracy Ellis Ross to Justin Vivian Bond, Heather Lawless. Oh, yeah. And I always think of those moments, the way that you create more of an experience, so it's not just about the clothes, but it gives the clothes real context. Tell me about those collaborations and, like, why you like to do that, why you like to bring other people into those performances. Usually, I just find their work interesting, and I'm trying to have an interesting career, and or just life in general. And if I, you know, like with high maintenance, I didn't know them at all. I just one of the women that works for me, young woman, she introduced me to the show, and I just thought it was so great, and I was so relieved to be see something about New York that felt so relevant and real and now. So I just wrote them and I said, I love your work. Like, it's just great. Good job. Keep going. You know, <laughs> you know they wrote back like, oh, my God, you know, we're huge fans of yours. And, you know, let's meet. And so we met and we were like, oh, hey, wow, cool. You guys are awesome. Good to know you. And um, a few months later, they wrote, they wrote me and were like, you know. Like, we had an idea. We wanted to run it by you. And then they just sent me the script for that episode that they did, you know, called Rachel. And he wears your clothes, too. Remember when he dresses up in, in all of your clothes? Yeah. I mean, in the show. Yeah. Yeah, Dan Stevens. Yeah. Well, in real life, he wears all your clothes, <laughs> in, too. In real life, he does, too. Yeah. I know. He looks great. No, he's, like, sample size. <laughs> so you've been in business now for, is it 15 years? Yeah, 15 this year. What do you think the hardest part has been in not just growing your business, but really staying true to to what you've been wanting to accomplish as an entrepreneur and as a designer? What do you think the toughest things have been? There's been so many hurdles. It took me six years to get out of debt. I was just, you know, when I started, I'd gotten fired from my job for doing this on the side. But that was kind of a blessing disguised because I was always like a really hard worker you know someone says like clean the toilet I'd be like okay here we go <laughs> so so it's kind of good because then I I got on unemployment I was like I just have to go for it I'm just gonna I think I'm gonna have a show you know I didn't even know what I was doing and then 9-11 happened and they extended unemployment so I had eight months of unemployment <laughs> and then I started moving stuff from one credit card to another credit card to another credit card another credit and then free With no investment no no and then all on your own yeah and then freelancing on the side at like the gap where they would call me in and I got I remember they paid me $75 an hour and my job was to make like color copies and like mood boards and stuff it was so insanely easy for I thought I was getting paid like so much money I couldn't believe it and I would on the side you know like at the photocopy machine get on the phone with my intern be like pick up the fabric and bring it over there and I did that for like Two years probably on Stealth. and off, you know, that different kinds of costume jobs and whatever. And then after six years, like crawled out of debt and hired my first employee. What's her name? Let's give her a shout Michelle, out. Michelle, Michelle Garrett and Allison Hill. Those are my first two employees and they still work with me, which is awesome. When you're building a business, a lot of times it takes a lot of convincing to, of yourself about what it is you're trying to accomplish, what it is you want to put out there into the world. Do you have any any moments like that? I'm sure you have a lot of them, but tell us about one of them. 
before I started my line, which when I started was men's shirts, button-down shirts, just seemed like a really nice, basic place to start where I could learn and, you know, I could make design decisions based on my personal aesthetic, but simultaneously learn because it, you know, I wasn't adding like a third sleeve or anything. Before that, I was experimenting and just making things for performers and, you know, kind of costume stuff and... Uh, I had a boyfriend at the time that was a musician. He was always wearing our stuff on stage, my stuff on stage. And and then I had a friend who was a stylist, Avina Gallagher. Mm-hmm. And she came to me and she said, do you have any more of those shirts that you're making for your boyfriend? You know, I'm styling Bowie for this tour that's coming up. And I was like, sure, yeah, whatever. And I gave her, you know, some stuff to take to him. And a week later, she calls me and says, Bowie loves them. He's wearing them to this and to that and to this and that. And he wants to buy them. And how much do you want to sell them for? She was like, it's David Bowie, so don't worry about it. He's got a lot of money. Just charge whatever you want. And I like the most expensive thing I could think of was $200. So she was like, okay. <laughs> so you bought two, you know, whatever. So was, that was kind of the beginning. And then that made me think like, wow, you know, people want, people, men need shirts, you know. You know, we started introducing women's. But still, all these stores that I liked and related to on a personal level weren't buying the collection. And I thought, what is going on, you know? At some point, we decided to take the sales in-house, and that's when Isha started working with me. Yeah, another great employee and friend, Taisa Sokolsky. Um, So she came and worked with me, and we were like, we know that we're wearing this stuff, so... There's got to be other people out there. Like, you know, it was just a moment of saying, like, wait, we have to do this ourselves for a second and trust our own instincts here and see what we can do. And so we just started from scratch and then started reaching out to stores we liked. And And it worked. And it worked. And, you know, we've just been kind of growing from there. But it's that moment of kind of listening to what the market is telling, you know, or what the industry is telling you and trying to figure out what that means for you and then realizing, wait, I can just do what means makes sense for me and the industry can decide later like what they think, you know. Like making your own rules. Yeah. So your Legion pant, they really kind of launched this sort of frenzy and I don't think I've ever seen in recent times other than with maybe a few it bags, a piece that had got knocked off so much. It was like minutes after we saw it in your show. How does that make you feel? In general, I find it flattering. (laughs) Um, But I, I mean, I was kind of bummed because at the beginning moment, like we couldn't manufacture quick enough because I can't compete with those big box stores. So I felt like we lost out in some ways. But I mean, it was a surprise though to me because I thought that when we made that item that people would think it was crazy. That item was inspired by growing up in the 70s and, you know, I'm kind of on the shorter side. My mom would hem up hem up my pants like four inches or something, you know, and then as you grew, you just took the hem out. And I was always kind of humiliated that I would have like a darker wash and it was obvious that the hem was taken out and stuff. Of course, I would never hem my kids' pants now. I just like cut them and like have fun. And if they're short, they're short and they're long. So it was kind of something I was Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a little bit embarrassed about growing up. So when we designed it as a thing, it was like a therapeutic release or something. I love that this episode is focused on making a business, you know, really having control of it and having it really be a true reflection of what you want it to be. How has that been having two small children? Um, you have a daughter and a son. How has that changed you as as an entrepreneur? Well, my goal always from a young age was to just have an interesting career and an interesting life. And it really isn't about, you know, winning this month or next year or like having 200 stores or, you know, it's really about the creative day to day and the environment that I work in and the people I work with and the stuff we're making. Is it exciting? Does it inspire me? Does it feel fresh? Does it feel interesting? Am I learning? All that stuff. So then when, you know, become a parent, that just kind of becomes part of the situation. So now it's just more, a little more complicated and I rely on a lot more people. You know, my partner in life is super generous and really kind of gave up his career to come and work with me and to help parent our children. So he's huge support in both the business and with the children. And that is makes things possible. And, you know, and as people that I work with and my team, they become mothers and fathers. Like that's just comes becomes part of the equation. And we just all have to kind of support each other. And that kind of thinking helps to balance everything for me, you know. And it's not like a brand thing, you know, it's about just being a designer and enjoying the journey or whatever, you know. <laughs> Do you think your kids have made you more creative? Yeah, sure. Why not? They, um, I'll give it to them. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, sure. They help me see things differently, which is always so fun as a creative person in general. I probably you agree, but, um, you know, making you look at something backwards or, you know, different. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> You've never taken an investment in Rachel Comey. No. Has it been stressful, really, you know, in the beginning, bootstrapping it, but also really managing the financial health of the company? Yes, very stressful. (laughs) Yeah, super stressful. What's your advice to people that are doing that and really navigating it for the first time? How do you get it right? I mean, I have been very conservative over the years, and I think that was really super smart and helpful the first 10 years. But now as we grow, I realize that we have to kind of think about how to change our financial model and not be so, so conservative, you know, because I need to take some risks. And I'm learning how to do that a little bit, but it's scary for me, honestly. In the early days, I was advised so many times to just kind of keep repeating silos, silhouettes that were selling and fabrics that were selling And I remember thinking, oh, God, it's so boring. I already did it. I want to do a new thing. And I think that that was my decision to try to keep exploring was probably not the best business decision, but the best, but definitely the best 
creative decision, I think. So that was like a major hurdle and not giving up. Well, I mean, one thing that I do like about fashion in particular, as opposed to art or, you know, other types of creative pursuits that take longer or in a way, is the demands of the deadline in the early years really train you, you know, and you have to like get over a failure and move on if you're going to do it. The demands of the the pace just keep pushing you forward because, you know, otherwise you might be like, why did I you don't have time to dwell ship on all it. those pants that don't pull up over your hips, you know, or something. <laughs> you know, this is so much to learn and and figure out if you're doing it like I did, which was like, you know, self-taught and just trying to figure it out along the way. You took, I would say that you waited, you know, a lot longer than a lot of designers do to open up a store. And um, it's beautiful. It's such a destination. If anyone is in New York, in Soho, please stop by. It's just really such an experience and a treasure. And there's just so much in terms of sensation and stimulation. It's not just clothes. It's like there's, there's shag carpeting on a wall in a dressing room and there's just a lot of thought and consideration and how you actually made that store I mean what was what was your vision like what what did you want to accomplish with the with your first store with the store in New York I never really wanted to get into retail because I was you know so interested in product development and clothing design and shoes and all this other stuff that takes a lot of effort and time to figure out. But after a certain amount of time, I realized that there was a big disconnect between me and the customers because I would only get it secondhand through all the wholesalers. And I was always trying to interpret and and every store that we sell to is different. So I would be thinking about that store's customers when I was designing so um, when the place became available on Crosby Street, it was this old rug store, and I always loved the building so much anyways. I was a customer of the rug store, and it, you know it's a one-story building that has no stores above it, and nice skylights, so all this natural light pours in, which is so rare in New York. I, you know, I've lived in New York for 20 years, and that's a really rare thing to walk into a space and have this natural light coming down. And also kind of an old scrappy building, which appeals to me anyway, and in a neighborhood that I've lived and worked in forever. So so I love the building. And then when I was thinking about the space and the, the elements of my work that seemed to be still running threads, I started to think about applying those ideas to the to the environment and the space. So that was like concrete. I love poured concrete. I love cast concrete. And then the shag carpet, like the soft and hard and those rich Bordeaux leather sofas. And anyway, so playing with all those things and then building out that space was one thing, but then finding the staff was another thing, you know, finding people that really were inspiring and could represent the brand in a way was so huge. And we have such a great team in there now. And you know, I was trying, I originally, I guess, thinking about one of my favorite kind of spaces in New York. What are they? And it's like going to a great restaurant or something when the lighting's right and the food's great and the conversation is good. And that's what I was trying to kind of come together with the store. Like, how are you going to be there and be like, God, that was a great New York experience. And I think that's kind of, I take a lot of pride in our city in a way too. So I feel like it's important to have establishments that contribute and or meaningful or something, you know, so maybe lofty goals, but you just opened your second flagship store in Los Angeles. I'm going out to LA next week. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it for the first time. Are you inspired by Los Angeles? 
Well, a couple things. One of the, the, my first employee, Michelle, moved out there and we started doing our denim production there because LA is a big denim production place. So that was kind of exciting in its own right because the capabilities out there are so much bigger than they are in New York. And you know, we produce everything in New York City, which we're really proud of. You know, we don't do any Far East productions. So we have like one-on-one relationships with all our factories and stuff, which is great. And we've been selling there for, for since we started, you know, really growing domestically. And we found this great spot on Melrose Place is this, you know, such a great street in West Hollywood that has all these other women designers on the street, you know, like Maria Cornejo and Isabel Moran and Chloe and Marnie, uh, Irene Newworth. And I was like, this is kind of an interesting, cool pocket of female thinkers and a nice place for customers to go and explore. I love that you chose that location based on, you know, the fact that they would have this like interaction with other female designers in this in the in the area. It wasn't just about you. And I think that that's always such a nice quality about you is that you're always looking for other people to kind of, I don't know, sort of bounce your own kind of ideas off of, you know, using them as like a catalyst in a way. What other women entrepreneurs do you look up to? Whose businesses do you really admire? Mm, Good question. Is it? Kind of. I mean, I think it's so hard to find mentors, you know? Um, it has been for me. We've talked about that before. Um, I mean, I mean, I can think of in terms of business, I don't know exactly. I mean, I can think of female designers. You introduced me to Norma and that we had that great lunch a couple of weeks ago and I'm still talking about that to my friends because it was so interesting and fun. Having Um, lunch with her is like, it's really like a it's almost like a spiritual experience. You do really feel like you're in the presence of greatness when you spend time with her. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Anytime. For introducing She loves me. you too. Yeah. No, she was so cool. She, you know, we talked about so many things and, you know, I don't know that many, I mean, I know other designers in my generation kind of, but I don't know that many at that point in their career and it, she was so open and it was really such a great experience to talk to about things so it was cool rare when I reflect on the 15 years I see so many different kind of moments uh, that represent a time or or a collaboration or a period or something and so many different explorations some that were better than others for sure but I think and I hope that that we've been able to establish that so our customers know when they come back to our stores that they're gonna see something fresh it's not gonna be the usual or something, you know? Rachel Comey, it's so good to have you on Unstyled as a guest, and I hope you'll come back again. Thank you so much, Christine. Thanks. I hope you're inspired after hearing Rachel Comey's story. For even more Unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag Unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be super grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on iTunes and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more. And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was produced and edited by Elisa Kreisinger, with production assistance from Rebecca Easley for Refinery29. Copy and research support provided by Lila Brilson. Our theme music today is by the artist Koth. Hannes Brown produced our episode music. And we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Pierre Gilardi, my co-founder at Refinery29, 
on living a creative life.